Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 144 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this long-anticipated mailbag episode where we take questions submitted by our listeners and answer them on air. As you can imagine, with a lot of folks staying home due to the various quarantines and closings triggered by the COVID-19 coronavirus, we've got a lot of bored home bartenders looking for new projects, and our inbox here at Modern Bar Cart certainly reflects that. I can't think of a time when we've been so flooded with so many awesome questions, and many of them are really on theme with this whole DIY drinks at home situation. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to hash out some questions on air, especially because most of these questions are really relevant to what most of us are going through right now at this moment. To give you a little background, normally when folks submit questions, we'll get your response within a couple days because... You know, we need to digest it, research, and kind of do our due diligence. So most of these questions have been answered via email already. We're just giving them a little extra fun time on the podcast wave. So don't think that when you send us a question, you have to wait for us to put it up on the podcast just to get your answer. Nah, we'll get back to you just like we've already gotten back to most of these folks. But before we air out the old inbox here, let's let you take the wheel so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Gin Daisy. It's a cocktail with a long and storied tradition, having its origins in the classic sour ratio of eight to three to three, or two ounces to three quarters of an ounce to three quarters of an ounce of booze to sweet to sour. Recipes run the gamut of base spirits, garnishes, and glassware, but a few things remain constant through the years as this drink evolves. It's always supposed to be bright, tangy, and refreshing. To make my favorite version of the Gin Daisy, you'll need two ounces of gin, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, three quarters of an ounce of orange liqueur or grenadine, we'll get to that in a moment, and some chilled soda water or club soda. Combine all the non-carbonated ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give it a good hard shake for about 15 seconds until everything's well chilled and diluted, and then strain into a rocks glass or a Collins glass over ice. Then, top it up with your bubbly water and find something that sounds fun for a garnish. A lot of recipes call for fresh seasonal fruit. Some call for a sprig of mint and still others remain minimal with the humble lemon twist. Most original versions of the Gin Daisy were made using Geneva or Holland's style gin and orange liqueur. Then as taste preferences changed, many recipes swapped in London dry style gin and grenadine. This is the beauty, of course, of the sour cocktail category. As long as you're between the lines of boozy, sweet, and sour, then there's not a whole lot you can do to mess up your drink. So feel free to riff, experiment, and tinker to your heart's content. So, now that you've got a refreshing springtime drink in hand, and since our questions are all across the board on this one, we're going to forego our normal bulleted recap and dive straight into this diverse DIY-themed set of mailbag questions from the Modern Bar Cart community. Enjoy. 
Sometimes when I put together an episode like this, I try to come at it like a baseball coach, right? I'm like, okay, who's our leadoff batter? Who's batting cleanup? Who do I want down in the order to catalyze a little action? But for this episode, I just can't hold back from dropping this big bomb of a question right at the beginning. It's got everything. It's got science, intrigue, and non-typical cocktail locale. What's not to love? So here it is, coming at you from Danny in Wyoming, who says... Hey guys, love the podcast. My name is Danny and I'm a bartender and student in Laramie, Wyoming. I'm trying to get advice, notes, etc. on flavoring egg whites. I've spent much time on Google looking for an answer and it's mainly, why are there egg whites in my cocktail? Whiskey sour recipes, etc. I only turned up a few things. There's a guy in the UK flavoring egg whites with hay. Another article on flavoring egg whites with elderflower liqueur, yet no tips or tricks on how to go about it. I created a spin-off on a whiskey sour, and I'm currently dry-shaking egg whites with lemon zest and honey and add and change other ingredients. I ordered lemon bitters so I can drop the zest texture to the drink. Is there an episode where you guys dive into this topic? Help. Thank you. Danny. Ah, oh, I love this question so much. First, because it's coming from a place where you don't expect great cocktails. Wyoming. And I'm not saying this to disparage such a large rectangular state, but rather to raise awareness for what's going on outside of primary big city markets. Everybody, please keep in mind that wherever you have passionate driven people who care about flavor, you're going to have some good drinks. So the first part of my answer is bravo to you, Danny. Thank you for doing the good work in a market where I'm sure you have to hustle harder for ingredients and recognition than your counterparts in the metropolises on the coasts. Your patrons love you, and so do we here at Modern Bar Cart. Now, we do have an episode on egg-based cocktails. Uh, we talk through both the egg whites and the egg yolks, right? Sometimes you create a flip and you'll use the entire egg. So we're going to go ahead and link to that episode over on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. Now on to the rest of the question, which we have to kind of break down quite a bit in order to get you somewhere near a useful answer. First, we need to address the elephant in the room, which is why do you want to flavor the egg whites when other aspects of the drink are probably friendlier to the process of infusion, which is what you're talking about when you say, hey, how do I get flavor from this medium into that medium? Now, to be clear, I'm not saying it's not a good idea to flavor egg whites, but I'm saying right off the bat, you're choosing a medium that's more difficult to infuse flavor into than hot water or alcohol, which are your two most common culprits for this type of move. I'm pretty confident that's why you're not turning up a wealth of search results when you type this into Google. Now, I replicated your search and I turned up a popular science article from 2012, which I'll link to again on the show notes page, where a UK bartender named Tony Canigliaro talks about his hay-infused egg white cocktails. Now, if there's one misnomer that needs dispatching right away, it's hay-infused, because he's not infusing actual hay into the drink, but rather a flavor compound called cis-3-hexanol, which, according to Canigliaro, has, quote, the perfect just-cut grass note that, when added to fresh apple, makes it taste and smell just like hay. End quote. He goes on to explain that eggshells are porous, and so he purchases this flavor, or more accurately, aroma compound from an industrial flavor lab. He soaks a wool cloth in it and seals it in a container with a bunch of eggs. 
over a certain period of time, which is not specified in the article, the eggs absorb the hay-like flavor through their shells, which is how he's able to get the flavor directly into the egg whites. At this point, Danny, I need to ask you to consider the differences between yourself and Tony Canigliaro, who was executing this move early on in the cocktail renaissance, signaling to me that he had a lot of funding and free time on his hands to get it right. When I look at this method from the perspective of 98% of bars and 99% of home bartenders, it's just oppressively difficult and cost prohibitive. First off, you need to find the right flavor compound. Then you have to do a bunch of painstaking testing to get a single drink just right. So unless you've got Bill Gates flying in the Laramie for cocktails on the reg, I think this might be a bit beyond your reach. But to be honest, when I first read your question, I had a few immediate thoughts that didn't have anything to do with infusing eggs with flavor through the shells. My first thought was actually, what about aquafaba? This is the water that's left over when you strain a can of chickpeas, and most bars use aquafaba as a vegan or labor-saving alternative to real egg whites. You can use it in similar proportions to an egg white in cocktails, and it produces very similar effects, minus the initial kind of goopy viscosity of the egg white. But egg whites themselves are about 90% water, so whichever route you decide to go, Keep this one central rule in mind. Water is known as the universal solvent, but it's only good at dissolving and taking on the flavors of water-soluble compounds. This means that oils and certain volatile aromatics are not going to infuse very well into a water and protein-based media like aquafaba or egg whites. And that also goes for the oils in the lemon zest you grated into your egg whites, Danny. That's why you had to do it in the moment in order to get the flavor you were looking for. And then, as you mentioned, you've got a textural issue now with all that lemon zest swimming around in the foam in your drink. Your best bets for flavoring egg whites, if you really want to do this, are going to be hydrosols like rose water or orange blossom water, which are created as byproducts of the essential oil making process. They're more delicate than essential oils, but they're extremely powerful. So use in moderation. Most popularly, we see the use of orange blossom water in the Ramos Gin Fizz, the one drink in the classic cocktail canon most notorious for its foamy head. So you can pretty much trust hydrosols for in-the-shaker infusion and possibly even pre-service infusions into egg whites or aquafaba. Otherwise, you can certainly mess around with infusing fresh herbs into your egg whites and Similarly, you could see what berries and non-acidic fruits going to yield, but make sure you're not dropping a whole bunch of acid into your protein-rich solution because that could have some unintended textural consequences when it comes time to make the drink. In the end, Danny, egg whites are all about texture, which is why you see most people using infused spirits and outside hydrosols and flavor extracts to do most of the heavy lifting. It's usually way easier and more effective to infuse your vodka with a handful of basil overnight than to try and balance both flavor and texture in egg whites. I know this long-winded answer might not have been what you were hoping for, but the important thing is this. You saw an opportunity, you got curious, and did some research, and you didn't stop trying when no easy answer presented itself. This sort of curiosity and persistence is exactly what leads to breakthroughs in our industry. So just because infused egg whites are tricky and expensive to execute doesn't mean there aren't other frontiers out there. What about trying to color your egg whites? What about playing around with stencils so that you can create designs on the foam of your finished drinks? There's a lot to do, 
and we definitely hope you keep us posted with updates as you continue along your bartending journey. Thanks for writing in. Next up, we have a smoky question from Brianne in New Hampshire, who says, Hey, Eric and team, hope you're well despite all the craziness and quarantines going on. I have a question about smoked drink garnishes and was wondering if you have any experience making them. My husband just got a new smoker over the holidays and we both love smoked food and smoky drinks like scotch. He's been working super hard at an essential job during the coronavirus outbreak and I wanted to surprise him with some smoked cocktail garnishes since I'm working from home right now and have the time. Any suggestions about how to do this and what garnishes might work best? I know about how long to smoke a pork shoulder, but I have no clue about non-meat items. So any advice you have would be amazing. Thanks and stay safe. Brianne. Well, Brianne, you pose an interesting question because smoke is an excellent way to impart flavor. As you mentioned, scotch makers have been doing it incredibly well for centuries. My initial thought here is that this project might require a little bit of trial and error because there seem to be a lot of variables involved. So let's run through a couple of those variables on air here and I'll see if I can help you decide how to approach your smoked garnishes. First off, what to smoke. I think citrus wheels are an attractive option here. Because smoking produces heat in addition to the wood polyphenols and other compounds that comprise smoke, you can potentially use your smoker as a way to dehydrate your citrus wheels while adding flavor. We'll get to this in a second because I really think this is going to be your best bet. But other common cocktail ingredients and garnishes that you might consider smoking are simple syrup for old fashions, brandied cherries for Manhattans and other delicious drinks, smoked salt for rimming margaritas, and, you know, you can even smoke water and then refreeze it to make smoky tasting ice. You can smoke all these things in roughly the same way, varying the amount of time in the smoker based on how smoky you want it to be, right? You could have something that's lightly smoky or you could have something that just blows you away depending on your taste preferences. Keep in mind with the cherries and the simple syrup that depending on how hot your smoker gets, you might experience some evaporation or drying of the fruit in those instances. So think about how you'd ideally like to avoid it. Some people like to put a pan of water in the bottom of their smoker uh, just to keep the environment a little bit more moist. Uh, but there are other ways to avoid completely drying these things out and uh, ruining the ratios of water to the rest of the ingredients. So um, just think about it and I'm sure you can come up with a really good solution. Now, this talk about temperature and evaporation brings me to my next big piece of advice, which is really think about what kind of smoker you're using. Spoiler alert, Brianne and I went back and forth a little bit on this, and it turns out her smoker has a built-in thermostat for temperature control. But many smokers out there, including the one that I use at home, do not. Obviously, for the dehydrating of citrus wheels or other fresh garnishes, temperature is going to be important if you want to avoid over- or under-cooking. Most recipes recommend putting your citrus wheels on a baking sheet in the oven somewhere between 160 and 180 degrees Fahrenheit for three to five hours. So if you can manage something similar with your smoker, then I say go for it. Of course, in this scenario, if your smoker has a thermostat, you're golden. But if not, 
you're going to pull your hair out trying to maintain a semi-constant temperature in that range, which is generally a bit hotter than most small smokers get, at least in my experience. If this is the case, I'd recommend partially dehydrating your citrus in the oven until the wheels are a bit leathery but still pliable, and then maybe finishing them off in the smoker. Another option for temperature control would be to build or buy a cold smoker box, which basically takes in the smoke and holds it, but it's further away from the heat source so you don't have to worry as much about scorching or over drying. Finally, I do have one little piece of side advice for anybody who has a smoker without a thermostat. Get yourself a remote digital thermometer. This was about the only smart thing I did when I got my smoker last year, and it really helped me understand what's going on at various points throughout the smoking cycle where you load wood chips or sawdust into this little pan that sits on a heating element. The cool thing about the remote digital thermometer is that you can take the probe and stick it right down in the smoker, and then the reader can just hang out somewhere nearby, and it'll display the temperature inside the smoker at that moment. And it's fascinating to watch the temperature fluctuations that take place when you add new wood chips, for example. And even though I don't have a cold smoker box, I could see the thermometer being really useful as you try to optimize for things like airflow in a cold smoker. So no matter what you're trying to smoke, if you don't have a thermostat, you need some way of tracking your temperature if you ever hope to recreate a smoked garnish or cocktail ingredient after having done it once. I'm definitely eyeing up either a really intense bar cart foundations episode on smoke or perhaps even a series of episodes. But until then, Brianne, I hope we've at least inspired some fun ideas for you to play around with during the quarantine. Next up, we've got a question from Steve in Chicago who writes, Dear Modern Bar Cart, huge fan of the pod. A couple times since the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak, I've heard you mention that there might be some supply chain disruptions in the spirit industry. Any chance you're willing to share insights about what might be disrupted so your humble listeners can stock up and get ahead of the curve? I'm not trying to go to jail for insider trading here. I just want to know if some of my favorite bottles might be about to disappear. Thanks in advance if you can help. Well, Steve, I'll start by saying I'm not a huge fan of panic purchasing or hoarding. Right before this whole hullabaloo got started, my wife and I got a puppy and the housebreaking effort was in full swing when all paper towels and other paper products vanished from the shelves. So needless to say, I'm a bit salty about the tragedy of the commons that this pandemic is triggering, but I'll give you a few thoughts and hopefully that will get you started on figuring out what to buy and what to stock up on. First, I've been going on walks, and a great destination to walk to a few times a week is the liquor store near my condo. Not always to buy something, but just to do some research. Chance to, you know, stretch my legs. Then when I'm about to go into the store, I'll flip on my mask and peruse the shelves during non-busy times of day when most folks are at home. What I've found during these walks and you have to keep in mind that I'm in a very large city market, is that most of your base level spirits are being picked pretty clean. This is especially true in the whiskey space, both for bourbon and scotch, and I've seen some less extreme evidence also in the rum and agave world. So, for example, my liquor store is completely sold out of Laphroaig 10-year and a bunch of other baseline scotch expressions. 
They're also out of a bunch of middle of the road bourbons in the 35 to $50 range. So if you're somebody who does a lot of mixing with these types of spirits, you might either have to get creative or locate some way more or way less expensive options in the very near future. That's tip number one. It's just what I'm seeing here in the DC market. Now, when it comes to imported spirits, one point that came up in a recent episode is that, okay, maybe some places like Milan are getting really hit hard by the pandemic right now, which might make you think there could be shortages in spirits that are produced there, like Fernet Branca in the Milan situation. On the other hand, we're not sure exactly how the widespread closure of bars and restaurants is affecting the amount of product available on the market. So in one sense, there could be a shortage, but in a different sense, there could actually be a glut of product available. The people who could help answer this question are, of course, liquor distributors, and I've been trying very hard to get someone on the podcast to speak from that point of view, but right now, all those companies are in complete damage control mode, so we have to wait and watch while all this shakes out, especially when we're talking about the imported stuff. Lastly, if you want to get real, real speculative about the price and availability of spirits in the coming months and years, you might want to take a look at commodity markets dealing in products like grains, herbs, and spices. If you see a grain shortage in one part of the world, you can predict that the distillers who tend to purchase grain from that region may be forced to look elsewhere or raise their prices. Usually, shortages like this are caused primarily by weather events like droughts, or severe storms that wipe out crops. But in this case, the disruption is likely going to occur further down the supply chain because the commodities, after they're harvested, need to pass through busy ports and urban centers en route to their destinations. And those places will be most drastically affected by the pandemic. So Steve, I know this wasn't the golden ticket of an answer you were hoping for, but unfortunately, I can't tell you what's going to vanish from the shelves. I can only walk you through my personal thought process, which may or may not be correct. Time will tell. In the penultimate position here, we have a question from Michelle in Ohio, who writes, Hi, Eric. I really enjoyed your herb interview with Colleen O'Brien, and I was wondering if you had a list of herbs that are most often used in cocktails. I'm planning on planting a small herb garden for the first time, and I'm excited to use them in my drinks. Thanks for your help, Michelle. I love this question because it's basically the 12-bottle bar, but with herbs. Unfortunately, unlike bottles, though, herbs have different sunlight needs and soil preferences. So there's no way for me to claim an objective standard of which herbs are the most important and the best to plant. Instead, I'll put a bunch of herbs into three categories and you can pick and choose which ones appeal most to your palate. For our first category, let's look at the three most commonly used herbs in the cocktail world. And those are, in order, mint, basil, and rosemary. If you're gonna make drinks, these are the must-haves. Now, I've got a little bad news for you, which is that Ohio is solidly in zone six, which means you might have some trouble growing certain types of rosemary, so make sure that you select a variety that is definitely classified as cold hardy. If you do, then you might get away with treating it like a perennial. With basil, though, you're definitely gonna to have to plant that every year, because unless you have a greenhouse, it's just not gonna survive the cold winter temps. And with mint, 
the big thing to keep in mind besides selecting a variety suited to your zone is the fact that it spreads like crazy. So it's a good idea to either keep it completely separate from your other herbs or even plant it in a dedicated container so that it doesn't start taking over. For the next two lists of herbs, I won't go into hardiness or planting zone related stuff. Just know that if you want to find information on that, you can type the name of the herb and the number of your hardiness zone into Google and you should come up with plenty of resources. In terms of frequency, here are a few herbs that aren't part of the cocktail pantheon, but they're common enough that you should plant them if they'll grow in your neck of the woods. They are cilantro, parsley, sage, juniper, which I know it's not an herb, but I feel like it deserves a spot here, and lavender. Some of these, like cilantro, parsley, and sage, are used frequently as garnishes, and others, like juniper and lavender, are more commonly found in botanical infusions, which are super fun to play around with. So if you can cultivate any of these, I'd say you're definitely not going to have a hard time fitting them into your cocktail routine. Finally, here are some herbs I've seen used but not commonly, so only plant them if you really dig the flavor or if you have a particular use case in mind. These are tarragon, dill, wormwood, thyme, and lemon balm. Now I love a bunch of these herbs for culinary purposes. Dill for pickling, tarragon for delicate fragrant stews and salads, and thyme for its excellent pork and chicken applications. But in the cocktail world, these are definitely going to take the back seat to the big three, mint, basil, and rosemary. Hope this helps, and Michelle, I hope that you and everyone else out there remember to tag us at Modern Bar Cart on Instagram and Facebook when you share pictures of your beautiful herb-inspired cocktails. Rounding out this mailbag episode, I selfishly saved one of my really favorite questions for last because I'm so grateful for the outpouring of kindness and support we've received from our community during this pandemic. Obviously, with most of the industry closed down, we've had to get creative alongside all of our distiller and service industry friends, but we're hanging in there, and notes like this one definitely help. Camille from Maryland writes, Dear Eric, I hope you and your team are staying safe and healthy during these strange times. All the distilleries and bars near me are closed down, but most have sent out emails telling people how to purchase gift cards or the hand sanitizer they're making. I love your podcast, and I wanted to know if there's a good way to support Modern Bar Cart until things get back to normal. My husband and I are trying to spread the love around, and we'd love to add you to our list if there's anything we can do. Cheers, Camille. Well, during this whole ordeal, I I totally didn't think to even reach out to our community and let them know because we're still up and running, unlike our bar and distiller friends. We're still somewhat business as usual. However, you know, when, when those folks are all closed, we definitely take a big hit as well. So thanks, Camille, for prompting me to help you help Modern Bar Cart. If you're looking for gift cards, we do have digital gift cards available for our e-commerce store. It's listed right at the bottom, so scroll all the way down and you'll see that option to purchase a digital gift card. So that's a great way to help us out if you've got somebody with a birthday coming up or you know, Mother's Day and Father's Day are also right around the corner. We've actually seen a huge, huge uptick in e-commerce orders since the pandemic, so that's a part of our operation that's humming right along. 
in fact, until DC reopens its bars and restaurants, we'll be running the coupon code PLAGUE on our site, which will get you 20% off your entire order from modernbarcart.com when you enter it at checkout. So please take us up on that discount. It's uh, something that we're kind of doing here in DC to stand strong alongside all of the bars and restaurants that are closed. We're offering that discount so that you can continue to enjoy great cocktails at home and so that if there's any bartenders out there who are just a little bit short on money these days, they're not going to have to pay full price. The other thing I'll say is that we're about to launch a bunch of glassware and bar tools on the site in the next few weeks here, so please keep your eyes open for that. The plan is, once we figure out how to best ship delicate things like glassware, we'll put together a bunch of fun kits that are going to make excellent gifts to yourself or someone else, so stay tuned and we'll be sure to announce those new products on the podcast and on social media. Camille, thank you for thinking of us, and thanks to everyone who has helped out by making a purchase recently from our e-commerce store. Every little bit helps keep the lights on. That about does it for this COVID-19 mailbag episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I hope you, like all the folks who wrote in, are finding creative ways to still enjoy great drinks during the quarantine, and now, more than ever, we need to keep in mind my favorite little catchphrase, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. Cheers. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed. Excellent questions from listeners all over the place and a little bit of podcast magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2020.